Hey everyone, Aisha here, and we are less than a month now out from our next live show for Represent at the Speak Up Rise Up Festival. It's happening on August 16th at 7.30 p.m. at the Connolly Theater in NYC. Tickets are available on our show page, and we'll also have some awesome guests lined up for you. We can't wait to share them with you on our social media pages very soon. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The following podcast contains explicit language. There's definitely pictures of me wearing, like, tank tops and shorts and wearing a hijab on my head <laughs> with you, like, as a baby. Yeah. For training? Not for training. It was always me who wanted to wear it. I think just because, you know, mom was wearing it and all of the women I knew wore one that I just wanted to be like them. So I used to wear one, too. I feel really weird about this whole conversation only because I feel like as a guy, it's not my place to have mm-hmm. any opinions or any ideas on what women should be choosing to wear on their heads. Smart guy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Represent. I'm your host, Aisha Harris, and today we've got some pretty serious topics to delve into. In a bit, you'll hear a conversation between myself and my colleague, Eamon, who is the host of Slate's new docu-video series, Who's Afraid of Eamon Ismael, in which he seeks to uncover new and different perspectives on Muslim-American identity today. But first, we've got a new installment of Recognize, sort of, and you'll see why in a minute. Verilyn and our social media manager, Marissa Martinelli, talk about the controversial YA Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why. As a heads up, this conversation deals with some very sensitive topics, including suicide and sexual assault. So if you feel these issues are too disturbing or triggering for you, feel free to skip ahead about 23 minutes to our conversation with Eamon. Here we go. Welcome to what we are calling a recognize and avoid. <laughs> it's a little spin on our usual segment uh, because this is a show that we feel like we should highlight, but we aren't necessarily recommending people check it out because uh, we all got we don't have a lot of time and <laughs> we should be picky about these things. <laughs> so Verilyn, our lovely producers here in the studio. Hello. And also joining us today is Marissa Martinelli, our esteemed social media assistant, as well as Slate's wonderful editorial assistant. Welcome back, Marissa. Thanks for having me. And thanks for that very complimentary intro. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't she give the best ones? Every time she's like, awesome producer, I'm like, I, I am awesome. I felt really good during that <laughs> yeah. intro. I try. <laughs> <laughs> so last time you were here, actually, I think was also for Recognize, uh, but that was, it was for happier things like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So today we are going to talk about a show. This is another show I have not watched, uh, <laughs> and it seems it's probably for the best. It's 13 Reasons Why. Super controversial. 
uh, for many reasons. Would one of you like to take a stab at just I'm going to throw the ball premise? to Marissa because she's written about this for Slate.com. You have. I have. Um, I've written specifically about a major theme of the show, which is suicide. Uh, so 13 Reasons Why is based on a popular book for like a YA novel popular with the middle school crowd. Um, and the premise of the show is that a high school student named Hannah Baker has killed herself and she leaves behind a series of cassette tapes, which is very old school. Um, and each cassette tape has a list of reasons, 13 in total, hence the title, mm-hmm. blaming different people or providing explanations for why she killed herself in her in her own view. And this is one I'll hop in just to say that because the show obviously is dealing with very difficult subject matter and spe- specifically, especially because it's dealing with subject matter uh, in relation to teens, uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, in case you know of anyone or you yourself um are having issues and and want to um, address them uh, is 1-800-273-8255. And that's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So feel free to share that as well. That's great. I mean, okay, I'll just start. The reason I was really wanting to talk about this is because at the end, so she's, you know, has these cassette tapes where she kind of blackmails each and every person that she's saying is the cause for why she ultimately committed suicide. Um, blackmails them to listening. Otherwise, she's going to release these tapes for the world to hear um, all you know all these reasons. And then you get to the end, and my first thought was, I understand why she killed herself. Like mm-hmm. even the professionals in her life, you know, they had the counselor played by. I have his profile pulled up here, Mr. Porter. Mr. Yeah. Porter, played by Derek Luke. Wait, he's in this. He's in this. <sighs> So that's the so I sorry, have sorry. not seen yes. thirty reasons yeah. why. Yes, as I said, I have not seen it. But Derek, okay, yeah. So hmm. yeah, so that's the recognized part. I feel like they do a great job with casting, right? Like every there are so many people of color in this and roles that you're just like, oh yeah. We always say like, why not have a person of color in this role? I feel like they do a good job of that. That yes, that's true. And I think actually, Verilyn, you hit on a good point actually about why we're making this a qualified recognize yeah. or sort of an anti-recognize what a lot of people the conclusion a lot of people come to in the show is similar that everything went horribly wrong and there was nothing she could do and that's actually part of why suicide prevention experts are so against this show mm-hmm. and have been so critical is mm-hmm. that it's important to remember that this show was written to be the worst case scenario and that Hannah's suicide was inevitable because she's not a real person. She's Mm -hmm. a fictional character. Yeah, because the counselor who's supposed to be the person that has the tools to deal with with this and to recognize the sign, he was horrible. Right. Well, I think it would be good to go into a little bit about what the reasons are on Hannah's tapes. So we're Mm -hmm. hearing the whole story through her crush. His name is Clay. Uh, And he's another high school student, and he doesn't know why he received the tapes. So he's listening and listening to all of these other high school students, you know, what they did. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yes. FYI. Um, But, I mean, the reasons are as varied as one student published a poem Hannah wrote in a magazine without her permission that was very personal. A lot of the reasons relate to... Hannah, you know, rumors about Hannah that people spread, um, you know, that she was, you know, a a slut, so to speak, uh, that sort of spiral from somebody showed a a very innocent photo of her out of context to 
You know, the mm-hmm. show delves into sexual assault and stuff like that. So the reasons are very varied, but the school counselor, uh, Mr. Porter, is actually one of the reasons on mm-hmm. the show mm-hmm. um, because he's a terrible counselor and he does not handle the situation well when she finally approaches him. I mean, we see that in real life all the time, though, right, of, of people ignoring warning signs or not doing people in those positions who are ostensibly supposed to, you know, help people not doing a good job based on many, many things. I mean, to some extent, I think we've progressed as a nation, whereas things that someone might like a counselor or someone might have brushed off or ignored Mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago, they might not do now. But like, what is as someone who hasn't watched the show, like, what is the what would have been the like what is the way that this show could have fixed like in not making it seem like oh it makes sense that this happens like it, it's not it's not quite a perfect analogy but i feel like you deal with the same sort of issues when you're talking about any movie or tv show that that profiles like mass killers like a, a dylan klebold mm-hmm. or eric harris or columbine kids where it's like oh like they were made fun of they were bullied all of this and then like at the end they they did this like and you in some ways you you walk that line of like was this just like do you understand why they did it um like what is the line between understanding but then also like what could pointing have been out differently yeah. or so for my piece i spoke to school counselors from around the country and i spoke to suicide for prevention experts and the reason that it's such a problem that mr porter handles this encounter so poorly i mean panic comes to him and basically tells him that she's been sexually assaulted and that she's considering suicide, although she doesn't say so in as many words. She says, you know, she needs everything to stop. She wants everything to end. Uh, the problem with how he handles it, which is essentially telling her, well, we need to go to the police, but that means you have to tell me who assaulted you. You know, if you can't tell me who assaulted you because you're afraid, then you just have to move on with your life. School counselors are have to be licensed and they go through extensive training and it, that's not a normal scenario. Mm. In most cases, a school counselor has been specifically trained for that scenario, and school counselors are mandated reporters. Mm. So if a student has been harmed, they don't have a choice. They have to go to the relevant authorities, whether that's child services or the student's parents or the police. And this is this is high, like public or like high school, correct? Like I, I feel yeah. like when it comes to college campuses, there's a, a whole fuzzier in terms of what they can say or what they can do, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they're minors. It's important to know. Right. Yeah. Or, or I think Hannah's 17 uh, yeah. in the show. But, you know, for school counselors to be watching this and see this, this show, while it has very adult themes, is based on a book that's very popular with middle schoolers. Mm-hmm. So inevitably, some younger students are going to wind up watching this. And the message that they're being sent is, adults can't help you. Adults will not handle it well. So the fear is that if a young person is dealing with depression or suicidal thoughts, they will watch this show and see the many failures mm. because Hannah makes an effort to try to get help, but no one helps her. Mm-hmm. And they will conclude that it's not even worth trying to get help. Whereas in the real world, there are so many resources. There's the National Helpline. There are various organizations. The Jed Foundation is one aimed specifically at helping teenagers. There are resources in real life. So in that way the show is just not realistic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and can even be dangerous yeah right when the emphasis is is on the 13 reasons why right not 
the myriad other like ways to get help. The other issue is that the show does not meaningfully address mental illness, yeah. which is a factor in 90% of suicides. Hannah, you know, at the risk of diagnosing a fictional character, she's exhibiting seer- clear signs of depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. And for the show to sort of gloss over that and accept that she killed herself because of these this person reasons, was mean yeah. to her, this person, you know, like all these all these underlying issues in addition to the assault and depression. I, it just it's a strange conflation. And it, it you can even see in the show the toll that the guilt is taking on the characters. These are teenagers and some of them some of them did terrible things. Others did relatively minor but not very nice things. Mm-hmm. And it's just not fair to real world survivors of suicide loss to suggest that, oh, if only you had been nicer so-and-so would not have killed himself. In reality, kindness is great. It's no substitute for therapy. Yes. Mm, good point. I, oh, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm plunging back into that <laughs> feeling of after I watched it. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people I've spoken to, like, in the aftermath of watching it, have just been sort of devastated. Mm-hmm. And- well, one thing that the show made me think a lot about is, because, of course, like, there's a lot of sexual assault in this show. Mm-hmm. And it really got me thinking about consent and what that even means right i feel like in this very rape culture society that we live in um the onus on any anybody in a, in a situation that's sexual has to have like the the language to say yes no stop um i want to do this i don't want to do this um and like to hear that is like such a blur like it just makes me think it is like brought me back to my high school experiences right one of the things that happened in the show is that there's this list and her body is being ranked right and so that's kind of like a sexual like you're you're you're, you know people are pointing out sexual attributes of yourself the female students the female students yeah it's like best ass best tits it's like very crude yeah and then um, there's also like groping that happens, right? And then the show escalates from goes from there, which I don't know if you can rank sexual harassment versus sexual assault. I don't know. It depends on who you are. But the show goes from like those examples, which we see so much of, I've seen so much of, um, to someone being raped. And there's like just all these examples, which on the one hand, it was very hard to watch because. Like, they never turn away from it. I think we were talking about this earlier. Like, they show it exactly. Like, the camera doesn't fade away, right? Yeah. They're like, this is what's happening. And it's really hard to watch. But on the other person that has experienced sexual trauma myself, sexual assault myself, and knows many people that have as well, it was also... Like, I think sometimes we do sometimes turn away from it too quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, some, it, it's this is stuff that teenagers are dealing with. I dealt with as a teenager so I know so many people that have as well. And I just feel like on the one hand, it was hard to watch, but I kind of appreciated all those different examples of like sexual assault and sexual harassment, which often is a gateway to sexual assault. Right. Because, you know, you're told like, okay, well, this has happened. So maybe there's something I'm doing to invite an assault. Well, yeah, the show's very clear about how all the little sort of maybe not as egregious on their own examples, like Hannah being ranked as best ass and someone going on a date with her and then, you know, assuming that she wants to have sex because Mm. she has this reputation, escalate into this, all of these, you know, this larger culture of disrespecting women and rape culture. And there are actually two assaults on the show. So there's Hannah is assaulted 
um, in a very devastating scene where mm. the show actually did a good job of not being too exploitative. Like often sexual violence on TV is sort of through this gross male gaze where it's mm-hmm. like yeah. mm-hmm. supposed to be titillating. The show is focused on Hannah's face mm-hmm. and the horror of what's happening to her. And it is. It's very uncomfortable to watch because you, you're not looking away, uh, which I guess is the point, is that you're supposed mm-hmm. to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Then there's also another character who's assaulted. Yeah, the other, um, Jessica, played by Alicia Bow. Right. And Hannah sort of witnesses that assault and does not step in. And the guilt of that, mm-hmm. you know, is one of her reasons that she contributes to her suicide. Um, but both of those assaults are very uncomfortable, very hard to watch, and yet the camera does not cut away. So is that a good thing, though? Like, because where does the the line between making the viewer, if not complicit Hmm. in this very violent act, at least, like, understand her point of view Mm -hmm. and, and get into that? Where does that, where does that lie versus... Well, now you're just, like, exploiting her pain on camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, to an extent, I think the lack of nudity contributes and the mm. focus on faces, whether that's Hannah's face as she's being assaulted or Hannah and another character reacting as they know the assault is going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly horrifying. Uh, I don't want to say this show is sort of a template for how sexual assault should be portrayed because it also has some yeah, yeah. aspects that I am not so crazy about. For example, the rapist in both cases is this sort of popular jock, which I think the show that I've heard the producers and the writers in interviews talk about how this they wanted to portray it as someone who's well liked within the high school to show that, you know, even popular, seemingly nice guys can be rapists mm. um i don't think that's that radical the idea of the popular jock <laughs> yeah. being sexually yeah. aggressive i remember many a very special episode of like the 90s sitcoms where like they never it, they never called it sexual assault but like I, I think there was actually one episode of like family matters where laura yeah. went on a date with one of uh eddie's popular popular friends, friends yeah, on the basketball team and then he like yeah. attempts to... and in a different world remember with freddie um in the car and then oh. wayne comes in i remember <laughs> that like scene out of swoopson anyway yes or even just like back to the future yeah. oh, right, like, right it's such an ultra yeah. but see to me right. the issue where they had a missed opportunity was in they had a character who was popular within the universe of the show but a character who we all recognize as a villain as viewers i think it would have mm. been much more daring to make a well-liked character by viewers who we consider to be one of the good guys and then set them up and show that, right. you know, even... The quote-unquote nice guy. Right, exactly. And the one who self-identifies as nice, but really is just not... Yeah, I've yet to meet anyone who watched the show and was like, oh, I was so shocked when Bryce did <laughs> yeah, a terrible yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, one, well, one thing with as far as, like, like Clay... The person that has a crush on Hannah, and there's a scene where they're having a mutual romantic, mm-hmm. about to get it in moment. They and finally get together. They finally get, yeah, yeah get together at a party. And because of all the trauma that Hannah has experienced, she couldn't receive that for what it was. And she was just like, stop, stop. And like, she's like taken to a place of, of trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and Clay, who is an actual nice guy, stops immediately. Yeah. And is very concerned about her and, you know, treats her with respect. 
But Hannah has been so she's been through so much that she hasn't dealt with this trauma mm-hmm. and no one she's reached out to has helped her with this trauma. Yeah. And you see the effect that sexual violence has on her. But that's what I mean. Like the two assaults that you mentioned, this happens before those two assaults happen. Um, take place before she witnesses and before she's actually raped herself. Right. She's She's been sort of grabbed on... She's been asked on dates where the guy just assumes she wants to have sex. Yeah. But I think what... what, what why I think that was... I was happy to see that is because I think, like, so much of the time we think trauma is only when you're physically, like, assaulted. Mm-hmm. And, like, just to say, like, the, what, the effect that rape culture has on all of us on so many different levels, it was, you know, and even for C- Clay to have had that experience and questioning, like, what did I do wrong? What Should I be different? You know, I, I've heard so many teenagers say, like, well, girls only, like girls like it when I'm mean to them. Or, you know, like, so many male um, teenage boys say that, right? And we don't think about the way that rape culture hurts us all mm-hmm. <laughs> on mm-hmm. a certain level, you know? Um for all of the reasons we just said, it's like I don't want teenagers to watch this. Please do not let your teenager watch this show unless you're watching it with them and like stopping it and like yeah. having conversations. I think that's important is that like uh, right after this show came out, a lot of people were warning parents in particular, like school districts were sending out letters about the risks of watching this show. And I think that that gave it sort of an oh, forbidden vibe. Mm. Like the the danger in this show is not that. A perfectly, you know, happy teenager will watch it and suddenly be experiencing suicidal thoughts. The concern is that if a young person is depressed or if they've experienced something traumatic in their life and they watch the show, this can, you know, take them to a very dark place and can sort of, you know, make suicide seem like it's an option when it's not. Mm-hmm. The, the show is very controversial, also in part for not having specific enough trigger warnings at first. Yeah. So the sexual assault scenes and then the scene where Hannah controversially kills herself on camera. It's a devastating scene and they show it, which is actually uh, there's a widely accepted set of standards that is a combination of studies done by mental health professionals, but also that journalists have adopted where you don't usually describe the method of suicide in detail Mm. um, because studies have shown that it can lead to contagion. It can lead to other people killing themselves. Um, And this show blatantly disregarded that. Yes. I don't think I've ever seen that. I've never seen that. I've watched lots of horror movies. It's it's definitely on par with a horror movie. Mm -hmm. It's deeply sad. And the writers of the show have defended it on the grounds that Suicide should be horrible looking and it should be difficult to watch. I take a lot of issue with that. I think that this, the method of suicide they chose for Hannah because they changed it in the book. Um, I am going to repeat the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline real quick um, for anyone who needs someone to talk to, who finds the subject matter disturbing, uh, anything at all. The number is 1-800-273-8255. Um, for the show, they chose a very visual, graphic method of suicide, which is that Hannah cuts her wrists in a bathtub. It's very difficult to watch. There's a lot of blood. It does remind me in a lot of ways of a horror movie. In the book, it's alluded to that Hannah took pills. Mm. So I do wonder to an extent why the decision was made, and maybe that's very cynical, to go from a method that is mistakenly believed to be peaceful, which it's not. I mean, taking pills is 
your body does horrible things. There's vomiting. There's uh, to go to a method that I don't think anybody thinks that cutting your wrist in a bathtub is a peaceful way to die. Mm. I just think that it was a very visual method they chose. It was the method best suited to making a television show. And I don't think there's any valid defense for it, for including it. I mean, if they haven't announced it already, and I don't know if they had one for the for the first season, but hopefully they have like some sort of committee or something kind of advising them throughout the next season. Because it sounds like they maybe didn't for this first season. They had a handful of experts. Okay. Uh, one thing, part of how I got involved, so deeply involved in writing about this show, is because the Jed Foundation, uh, which specifically works with educating people about teen suicide in addition to prevention. Uh, They were approached by the show after the show had already been filmed, (laughs) but before it was released. And they sort of approached them to do kind of a quality check, check, but also to kind of promote the show (gasps) in a partnership. Not in a bad way, but sort of like to offer resources. No, but I was thinking about the the equivalent of like, Someone making a really bad movie about slavery and then going to like NABJ and say like, "Can you promote this?" Like, no. well, I'm pretty sure that's happened before. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. not that yeah. exact example, but <laughs> yeah. that, that happens all the time. Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Well, when Netflix did approach the Jed Foundation, they said, uh, "We have so many problems with this show and how, you know, the premise is a problem and." The way to fix suicide and this scene. Everything from the scout. The like. failure to address <laughs> mental illness, the incompetent counselor. And so the Jed Foundation declined, but they sort of released their own talking points. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go to the Jed Foundation website, they're there and they're targeted for parents who want to talk to their kids about this as a cautionary tale. And I think that if the Jed Foundation's advice is taken by the show going forward, season two will have a lot fewer problems. Well, thank you, Verilyn, and thank you, Marissa, for recognizing and pointing out all the things that are wrong with 13 Reasons Why. Thank you, Aisha. Thank you. With Kizik Can's free shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Up next, Slate video producer Eamon Ismael and I discuss his new video series, Who's Afraid of Eamon Ismael? If you haven't checked it out yet, you should. In the first three episodes so far, he's dealt with lightning rod topics concerning the Muslim American community from a variety of perspectives, including homophobia and Islam, practicing Ramadan while living in a foodie culture like New York City, and what it means for some to wear a hijab. We'll post links to the short videos on our show page, but in the meantime, check this out. Well, so today... I am very happy to have a colleague of mine to discuss his actual own work. Uh, I think this is this is a first on Represent, uh, Eamon Ismail. Oh, Welcome. That's very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> so we're here to talk today because you recently launched a very exciting series on Slate uh, called Who's Afraid of Eamon Ismail? Mm-hmm. And it's a video series in which you cover different topics um, about being a Muslim American yeah. um, and dealing with Muslim identity, the Muslim community. And, and like the Muslim American experience in general. Yeah. So mm-hmm. 
first, why don't we just talk a little bit about how this even came to fruition? I know um, last year you went to the RNC when mm-hmm. that was happening, <laughs> and you did actually have like I remember there were a couple of really good videos you made of interviewing people Thanks. outside, um, and it didn't even you didn't necessarily go there with that express purpose, no, right? It just I kind was of just happened there for like video backup. Yeah, but before we even got our credentials, we were waiting in line to get in. On the day before it started, mm-hmm. and this guy in this full-blown Thomas Jefferson colonial outfit came out, and he was like, hey, are you a Muslim? And I was <laughs> like, oh, good. I was like expecting this to happen, but not so quick. Wow. It was like literally day yeah. one. And then, yeah, no cameras were rolling. We had like iPhone shots of it only. Ah. This was like before anything even started. Yeah. And ever since then, I was like... Oh, I was expecting that to happen, but not necessarily right off the bat like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone at Slate was like, wow, that's so interesting. That's so unique. You should do a video about this. I'm sitting there like, well, this is, you know, very common for me. And uh, the idea came about to do a video where I would just be myself in the face of people who expected Muslims to be angry mm-hmm. or violent or upset and literally just show that juxtaposition of what they expect with what the reality is. Mm-hmm. And that became a video called... Uh, a Muslim meets the party of Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> it was like pretty fun. <laughs> it, that was uh, yes, that is a great video. Now, yes. when you when you say that you expected that and you were used to that, like, can you recall the first time you were asked that, or can you just give me like a on an average, how often are you asked this question? Mm, it used to be very often. Nowadays, not so much because I feel like. Especially in New York City, people are more sensitive towards that. Right. Well, sorry. Where are you from originally? Where I'm from you, Jersey. All right. So, right the water. so yeah. I mean, even in Jersey, I would expect there to be like a decent amount. Yeah, of, it was bad. Yeah. Like right after nine eleven, it was well, the only yeah. thing people wanted to know about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially since uh, my sister wears like the hijab, and so does my mom. Mm-hmm. So they didn't even have the luxury of being asked that off the bat. So they were starting with the slurs and just receiving the slurs and. People in accents, you know, because we were from like immigrant neighborhood yelling, go back to your country. But like, mm-hmm. we speak better English than you. Like, we don't, we don't get it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as a guy, I feel specifically, I don't I don't have to deal with the brunt so much as like Muslim women do, especially the ones who wear the hijabs. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was like pretty often. Uh, I think one of the most damaging ones for me was when I was growing up. I had a shoebox. It was like for a diorama, you know, it's like science class. Oh, yeah, I remember making this. Yeah, it was like fun. I was really excited about it. And then the crossing guard, not even like a cop, the crossing guard was like, hey, what do you have in that shoebox, little feller? And I was like, "Uh, why do you want to know? I'm just crossing the street. Just mind your business. Like, it was like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And she made me stop and she like searched it and searched my bag and then everything. And then she was like, you know, just trying to keep us all safe. And I was like, 15 what? years old, 14 years old, like, all right, whatever makes you feel more comfortable, I guess, you know? So you felt as though you had to, I mean, obviously, you're 15, she's an adult, I'm yeah. sure you were taught, like, respect your elders, but, like, at the same time, that moment yeah. is just... You don't want to act out in front of, like, authority to give them any reason to, right. to like, mess with you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that was just been, like, a, a consistent thing for a very long time. Nowadays, I feel like not so much... I got a high five from a TSA agent the last time I flew. Oh. And I was like, oh, <laughs> he's overcompensating. But thank you. <laughs> I was going to say, it. trying really hard. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I'd rather, to some extent, someone overcompensate than, you know, treat yeah. you like you're Oh, I've seen them. the inside of the Muhammad room. That's what we call the room that, like, 
for extra questions when you get pulled out of the line. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. How, how, how many times would you say that? That was every time from between like 2002 to 2007. Wow. And even like when we went to Egypt and we got to Egypt, they still pulled us in line in Egypt. And we're just like, oh, come on. Like we're, <laughs> we're this, we look the same. Yeah. We probably have like the same neighbors. Like what's going on? And yeah. they're just like, you know, just trying to, trying to make sure, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, I mean, one thing that I know from knowing you and working with you and, mm-hmm. and, and we've worked on a few video stuff, things together um, and from watching the series is you are a very um, amiable person oh. and you are a very um, not like positive, like but like even more so than you should ever expect to be in the face of all of these assumptions about you and and I'm sure you've re- heard many slurs over your your lifetime um do you think that like part of that comes like that experience of you with that crossing guard does that it seems to meld itself into what you're doing now in terms of like always trying to make the other person feel at ease because they assume that you were dangerous like yeah. is that an accurate assumption that's you nailed it that's okay. this is something that would like at least for me, I can't speak for all Muslim Americans. But right. In my experience, I've always felt like I didn't want to fuel the the stereotypes and the stereotypes surrounding me and people who look like me is they get angry very easily, and by the slightest offense, they're going to run around and like burn an embassy down. So I've always been very hyper aware of that, mm-hmm. and because of that, I've always been able to, you know, I just had a lot of practice like dealing with people who have like really really absurd things to say about or assumptions to say that, that they have about Muslims and the Muslim American experience. So I don't know, just like for my entire life, I've always played that role of having to smile and be calm and not feed into it, you know? Um, so I feel like people are like, wow, like you, you're really able to stay calm. It's like, yeah, it's because I've only ever had to stay calm. It's not really an option. But does that, that doesn't that get frustrating though? Like, don't you, yeah. or is that just, is it also just part of your nature in, in, in some ways? Yeah, and it's just, we've been, I've been conditioned in a, in a big way to just not react. Um, and at this point, nothing really is, is surprising, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but when Trump was running, I kind of always knew that he was going to win. Not because uh, of like the stats or the, the polls or anything, but because I just have had enough experiences in this country where I know that people do have this, this fear that they hold on to. And not because of that they're actually afraid, but because they just don't know. So here's one person saying, hey, all the people that you don't know, don't listen to everybody else. Your fears are valid. Your fears are justified. And they felt vindicated, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I've always had my suspicions that that was going to be the silent majority that everybody was talking about. You know, my sister and I were very close, so she would share stories of what would happen to her. And I always empathized with that a lot. And uh, my you know, I've been like around my mother when something crazy would happen to her. And I'd be like, oh, my God, that little kid just pointed a, his finger at you like a gun and said, pow, pow, die, terrorist. And my mom would be like, oh, he's a kid. He doesn't know any better. You know, so I've always just been around that yeah. that attitude of not wanting to react and not wanting to give them more reason to be afraid of you. Mm. So through that, I feel as though, at least for me, in my experience, I don't have the luxury of being upset yeah. or lashing out. Well, let's talk a little bit about how that feeds into this, the video series because, um, I mean, that is part of what you're doing is is you are going into, like, 
people within your community, but then also you're obviously going into other people's communities to help sort of uh, change the perceptions of what mm-hmm. you and others who look like you and are like you, uh, what they are. Can you talk a bit about like what is your goal for for the series and like how do you like w- when you were thinking this up and coming up with it like uh, what did you hope to accomplish the the goal is simple and it's really just to present uh, a different side of what a muslim could look like um i feel as though but the mostly when people talk about things as complicated like religion in america things are usually simplified into the most you know, condensed version of whatever story to appeal to the lowest common denominator of the audience. So people want it when they talk about Islam, they talk about the context of terrorism and they only really go like one generation back. But as a, as a Muslim person, you, you sort of understand these things as being very, very complex and very deep rooted in different uh, like political events that transpired in the Middle East over generations, you know. And being a Muslim and American, I've always been hyper aware of that history and hyper aware about how these really, really complex things get simplified. So the goal for this series is to take things that are very commonly talked about in the simplest manner, like the hijab, like um, homophobia, like in these things that are that are really, really, they're, they're just not binary. You know, it's very unique to a person's experience. And I want to complicate it as much as possible by adding as many different perspectives as I can in one single video. So rarely will you ever see a video on the internet that shows not one side, but two sides or three sides until to one really, really complex topic, you know? Uh, so hopefully I want people to see a video, and even if they are left-leaning or right-leaning, they'll be exposed to a different perspective on any given topic that's surrounding the the Muslim American experience. And I really do believe in my heart that a big part of where this fear comes from is this misrepresentation and this misinformation. So given the fact that I kind of believe that all facts are constructed and not really revealed, I just want to show as many different truths as possible and simulate the experience of myself learning about these different experiences. And through that and by me showing empathy towards people who are supposed to hate me, uh, maybe somebody like me who never thought about giving that kind of person empathy will will experience that on the camera. Mm -hmm. And even the person I'll interview who does hate Muslims, maybe we'll have a moment of connection. And by simulating that connection, you really try to uh, encourage your audience to understand something and try to understand the different perspectives and not necessarily stay in this defensive position and wanting to just feel like you're right and knowing that you're right and wanting to only ever talk to people who think that you're right or only ever wanting to convince the person that you're talking to that you're right. When really these things are a lot more complicated than that. Now you talk about finding a common ground, or at least finding a a common connection to hold on to with someone who uh, either hates you or does not understand you and uses that in a negative way. And you had Jim Hoft. He's an anti. Well, yeah, I think it's just that he's he's anti-Muslim. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an alt-right blogger who is gay and. He uses his platform as an alt-right blogger to um, denounce homophobia in the Muslim community, mm-hmm. <laughs> but which is really, as you point out in the video, a- a- another excuse to just kind of denigrate all of the Muslim community and what they stand for. Yeah. So did you find any common ground with him? 
because I didn't I didn't necessarily pick up <laughs> on that in the video, but I realized the videos are very short and yeah. you yeah. Were, you spend like a whole I don't know how long you spent with him, but you spent yeah. like a decent amount of time with him. So did you find any sort of any connection? Yeah, I mean, we're afraid of the same things. Mm-hmm. We just blame the different sources. For, um, so for me, reading about terrorism is scary on its own. I don't want people who want to do harm to this country to enter this country. I don't think that the best way to tackle that problem is to block immigration for all Muslims and then all of a sudden we have this protection barrier around us from terrorism. I don't think it works like that. But he does. Um, He will blame uh, things like rape on immigration, you know. Uh, But that doesn't mean that when we're talking about it that I have to say, no, 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 rape isn't a problem. It's a matter of saying, look, I agree with you. I think this is a problem. I think we do need to address it, not only in America but around the world. But we just don't ever agree on the best way to, to solve these problems. And I think uh, if we really get more specific about what we're angry about or what we want to change, I think Muslims and people who hate Muslims will have a lot to agree on. Uh, they, they say things like, well, they, they throw gays off buildings. That's horrible. And I've seen the videos and that's terrible. And I think when he posts these videos, he's not wrong for doing it. What he's wrong for doing is, say, is saying, this is why we can't let Muslims in the country. Because watch this video. Look what Muslims are doing. And I think um, if we have more people saying, stop calling it a Muslim problem, but actually talk about the problem, and then we can actually work on real solutions to stop it and take it seriously, then we'll, we'll realize that we're really all against the same things. It doesn't seem like he wound up on the same page, though. Like, I don't think yeah. he saw it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I tried to, to see it that way and explain it like that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's good enough for, for something like this. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, he's he's a broadcaster. He has a huge audience of people who go to his website to see things like that. And I think by including him in this video and including his voice, uh, there's potential to reach some of his audience. Mm-hmm. And it worked, except uh, they sort of cropped out the very, very beginning of the whole episode. So they just showed the my cousin telling that story of what happened to him. Right. Uh, which if you haven't seen, you should watch the video. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, so they cropped that out and they're like, look how bad Muslims are. Even this one Muslim's talking, he's surprised, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully people are curious and they'll want to see more of that. And they'll watch the entire video and they'll come to the conclusion, the same conclusion that I came to at the end, that we're really all against the same things. How did you even get him to agree to do it? And in general, like, this is a very, very touchy topic. So, mm-hmm. you know, what is your approach into getting people to, to speak with you because I, I I know how difficult it is just to get try to get, you know, entertainers onto this show. Mm-hmm. But like it's another whole thing when we're talking about something as divisive as this topic. Like what is that process like for you? It was crazy easy. Mm. I, I swear to God. All I had to do was send him an email. Uh, he was apprehensive at first. Uh, he wanted to do it over Skype. I insisted. I explained to him the process. I got him on the phone. I talked to him about what we were hoping to talk about and why we wanted his voice in this episode, and that we were going to be including all these different voices. And it was really important that we got to meet person to person. Um, but once he understood that this wasn't a piece about him, and this was just a piece about uh, homophobia within the Muslim community, and that we were going to talk about it seriously, he was very on board. He was very accommodating. He gave us a, a range of when he wanted to meet and everything. And it was really nice. And even when we showed up, he like welcomed us in immediately and was very, very polite and kind. I even asked him, I was like, oh, were you worried 
when you saw my name and you saw that I was like a Muslim person wanting to talk about Islam with you? He was like, oh, I was much more worried that you were from Slate, you know? So he was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that he was like actually afraid of Muslims, despite what he puts on his website. Yeah. Uh, but that's I a do... ring endorsement for Slate, everyone. <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, we we had a good laugh. Uh, yeah, I just think that uh, if you if you I just presented the idea, and I was surprised that he was so quick to say yes. And I really hope that more people want to talk about these kinds of things. Now, let's talk a little bit about you mentioned your cousin um, Mo, mm-hmm. um, who in that episode about homophobia, and you've also. In another episode, which by the time we release this, we'll have will be up on Slate.com mm-hmm. um, about the hijab, and you interview both your mother and your sister. So, did you have any reservations about including your own? Like, it's you yourself most of the time, but mm-hmm. then when you're bringing in your family members as well, that's a whole nother layer. Did you have any reservations about doing that? And absolutely, it's yeah. so much more scary. I swear to God, uh, especially. Uh, like in the Arab community, this isn't even like specific to being Muslim. This mm. is just uh, being like a first generation immigrant. I think uh, the communities are small and they're very, very tight. And what you know about one person will affect the entire family in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think it's very scary to want to talk candidly with uh, with your mom about something so sensitive like the hijab. And uh, she gets, she has like very, she feels very passionate about it. And so does my sister. So having both of those voices, I felt like it it was the, the scariest moment of my entire life. Uh, especially when I was like editing it and going through it and, and pulling the story out. I was like very, I don't know, I was having reservations. I was like, do I really want to say this about my family? But I think uh, at a certain point, you have a responsibility to just really confront the truth. And really try to have this conversation as open and as direct as possible, because the, the longer that you 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 hide these voices and you you push these stories to the side, the more that other people are going to be talking about it. And most of the time, they're not even including Muslim women in general. So it's kind of there's something magical about having uh, to present the the nuance of hijab in this uh, manner of it being like a family issue and it being a decision that uh, a girl has to make based on the relationship that she has with her mom and not necessarily like, well, should it be legal or should it be illegal? And what's up with the burkini, you know? Right. Uh, and, or why is it in a Pepsi commercial? So you, you, you hear about the hijab a lot, but really um, what I find really awesome about this interview is that it really takes the conversation and it makes it something that kind of isn't, doesn't have anything to do with the hijab at all, you know? And when I really talk to my sister and she's very smart and very articulate and she was able to to really present it in this matter of like, look, I feel about it this way religiously, but really the reason why I can't, you know, ever want to like take it off is because I'm terrified of ever making my mom upset. And then when I asked my mom, how do you feel about it? How would you feel if she were to come home without it? I don't know what will happen. I'm going to be so sad if this happened. This will make me feel like I did not teach her. I did not do my duty as a mother to teach her about the love of God in her life, in her heart. So hopefully it doesn't happen, inshallah. Because when you mention my daughter take her hijab off, I will be very sad. Okay. You want to stop? 
stop for a minute, yes. Okay, we can stop entirely. No, we can continue, no problem. Okay. My mom started crying. Like, it's, yeah. it, it was, like, painful for me to even watch in, while I was editing it. But still, at the same time, it's like, at a certain point, while people are having all these different kinds of conversations about who you are, you have to say something and you have to present uh, what you believe to be the truth. Yeah. I mean, did your mother or your sister or both of them, were they hesitant about being in the video or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to bribe my mom. <laughs> <laughs> what did you bribe her Journalistic with? Journalistic <laughs> uh, integrity at risk here. But my mom was like, no, I'm going to find you a professional imam who could speak very well on it and she kept on listing all these guys and i was like no that's not what i want to talk about here at all yeah there's i can go to youtube and pull these guys like they're they're everywhere um but i really wanted to be hurt so i like my mom loves this can i curse oh yes yes. my mom loves the shit out of me and i kind of took advantage of that in a way she was like hey uh, Are you her only son? No, I'm oh. the youngest of four. So oh, I'm the but baby. you're the baby. Okay, yeah, that's exactly. what it is. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, Mom, if you uh, let me do this interview with you, it'll count like as a work day. So I'll come on like Friday and I'll stay the whole weekend with you and we can have dinner together and wake up and have breakfast together and all this stuff. Oh, and she just fell for it. She immediately was like, okay. <laughs> it was great sweet and then she was the next question she had was how many people are coming so I can make dinner she's no, the best mom's, mom's pull through yeah, yeah. so uh, not, not not every topic I imagine is going to be super serious like the second episode yeah. is about more so just about like what it's like to, to live in New York City mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd never this is another like angle I'd never thought about but like the Muslim people who are working the carts the food carts yeah. during Ramadan when you you can't be you can't eat so like what other topics do you hope to cover both serious and non-serious yeah I really really want to do an episode on People who leave Islam, it's like the ex-Muslims. They're a massive community. And I think there's this uh, idea that all Muslims hate and reject them. I've always been fascinated by them. I only know a handful of them. So I really wanted to like exploit this series just for me personally so I can get to meet more of them mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and make some, some new friends. I really want to do an episode on Sharia law because that is something that is talked about a lot. Yeah. But never by anyone who understands it at all. Even like the Muslims who talk about it, I'm like, no, that's not what it is. It's, what are you doing? Uh, I really want to do an episode on Jihad. Uh, there's that thing about Linda Sarsour, the the Brooklyn native uh, activist who just also happens to be Muslim. Just saying like, this is a form of Jihad. She's not wrong. But then all these other people who don't know about Jihad are like, this is what she meant. Lock her up. Send her back to, oh, she's from Brooklyn. Damn it. Let's just lock her up. Yeah, so I want to do an episode on Sharia. I want to do an episode on um, uh, radicalization about like young Muslims wanting to to join ISIS because when the police are investigating those kinds of leads, they uh, they cast a net over people from a certain age to a certain age who are like male and you know, like I feel like I fall under that net. So I'm really interested in mm-hmm. the file they have on me because I know they got one. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh God. Uh, yeah, so I want to do things like that yeah. that are probably going to be a little bit more serious. But I also want to do, like, the silly ones and go to, like, a Muslim wedding. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah, just like a little slice of life. Yeah. This is this is what this experience can be like for certain people. Yeah, it's, a, it's really hard not <clears throat> to want to demystify yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
I would also love to if you can try to like get Bill Maher on here because oh my god <laughs> I mean I don't know if I'll be able to keep my cool with him just because he's like, really is that your is that where you draw your line he thinks he's so right I know <laughs> I have so many feelings about him yeah uh, yeah but he's you know he likes to say a lot of things and you're right he does think he's so right yeah and he hides behind the I'm just being politically incorrect thing no you just Never mind. <laughs> so great! I, I've, I've I found where you draw the line at being mm-hmm. your normal amiable self. <laughs> yeah, it's it's usually with the the people who are just so they just love the smell of their own farts, and it's not even like a race or, or a xenophobic thing. It's just like no, it's it's a smug thing. It's a smug a, thing. Yeah, every every anyone can have that. It's the East Coast in me. It's like I don't like that. <laughs> That's a stink face you just made. <laughs> well, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Amen. Oh, I love you guys. Yeah, we love you too. And yeah, everyone should check out the series Who's Afraid of Amen Ismail on Slate.com. We'll post a link to it on our show page. And uh, what is your Twitter handle? It's uh, Amen.com. A little harmless self-plug. Cool. Thanks, Amen. Thanks, guys. That's it. But before we go, a reminder that we're having another live show next month, August 16th, as part of the Speak Up Rise Up Festival at the Connolly Theater in NYC. We've got some awesome guests lined up for you, and I can't wait to share them as we get closer to the show. Be on the lookout for that on our social media and show page. Also, before we go, if you haven't already, check out another Slate podcast, Mom and Dad are Fighting. A good place to start might be last week's episode, which, like this week's episode of Represent, deals with Muslim American identity. Hosts Rebecca Lavoy, Gabriel Roth, and Carvel Wallace talk to author and activist Rabia Chowdhury about raising Muslim kids in America in 2017. So subscribe to Slate's Mom and Dad are Fighting in the podcaster of your choice. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verilyn Williams, and our social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. Our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>